Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 370 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her next level, your guide to kicking ass, feeling great, and crushing goals through menopause and beyond. Was that a mouthful? Yeah, I think it was. It qualifies, but it's good. We have a terrific show coming up before we begin. Just know the episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to smartypantsvitamins.com. All right, now here's your first reminder to run on over to iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show because we love your feedback. That's it. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. Have you just ever looked at your little perimenopausal or menopausal self thrown up your arms in just total desperation and despondency and said, all those lovely years of running and being a triathlete and a cyclist and all, uh all my athletic years are behind me and now my body is betraying me. And how in the heck can I possibly get it in shape enough to be able to feel all that vigor all again. Well, we've got the book for you and the author, Stacy Sims, is our next guest. So the name of the book is Next Level, Your Guide to Kicking Ass, Feeling Great and Crushing Goals Through Menopause and Beyond. Oh my gosh. And it was also written with Celine Yeager, who's also a fabulous friend of mine as well. So who is this Stacy anyway? Well, I should say, excuse me, Dr. Stacy Sims. Um, she has a PhD, is a forward-thinking international exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist who aims to revolutionize exercise, nutrition, and performance for women. I stress that for women part because I am on the board of directors of the American College of Sports Medicine, and I cannot tell you how many years we've spent studying men, not women, or doing something even worse, and that is extrapolating from male data to females. Very bad idea. Okay, so she's directed research programs at Stanford and at AUT University and the University of Waikato, focusing on female athlete health and performance and pushing the dogma to improve research on all women. Well, good for you for crying out loud. Um, Dr. Sims has also published over 70 peer-reviewed papers, several books, is regularly featured as a speaker at professional and academic conferences. And I, what I'm going to just simply say is that we're talking to her from New Zealand, where she's been since the pandemic, and her home is actually San Francisco, California. And so she's kind of, what shall I say, a global person. Um, Stacy, welcome to the Herb Podcast. 
Oh, thanks so much. I'm listening to the intro. I'm like, whoa, is that me? Okay. <laughs> I know. Listen, I know how to work it. So just stay yeah. with me. Stay with I'm me. With We're going to make this I'm work. All right. So tell us a little bit about you. What made you such a smarty pants? I mean, if you look um, at the cover of your books, um, there's an awfully ripped looking human being. Is that you? No, I'm on the back. there you go all right so so what are your sports oh i have i started as a as a ballerina and a runner and then was told i should probably go with running so um (laughs) i was a cross-country runner and then i got into rowing um so all the real endurancey type sports from rowing to ultra running ultra running to iron manning then professional bike racing and then stepped away from professional bike racing and picked picked up um, the Xterra series. But then I had a kid and things became a little bit complicated and uh, stopped racing high level and started focusing more on all the other important things like helping all the other women perform at their peak. I see. Speaking of peak, are you menopausal yet? Getting there. I'm in my late 40s, so I'm in that perimenopause okay. phase. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's just when the, you know, as a physician, I could just tell you, and all of my Her Podcast listeners know this from my other podcast, this is when, you know, the a woman realizes that her body is getting a little squirrely on her. Okay. You know, she wakes up in the morning and she says, wait a minute. Something else is heading south. I mean, my breasts, everything else. Oh my gosh! And what about my endurance? And and what what is this belly showing up? And what is all this stuff? And it's just one little horror after the other. <laughs> and and I know. And if you're already in pretty good shape, you know, I think women need a he- need a little heads up to to how to stay in shape and I know that that's something you're going to be talking about and also how to get in shape even if you weren't quite there to you know to start with so is this book next level really meant for women who really have more of an athletic bend now what we say is if you exercise on purpose then you're an athlete because if you're exercising on purpose you're putting yourself out there to gain whatever performance it is is it looking better, feeling better, better health outcomes, you want to run your first 5k, or you could be on the other extreme and be like, I want to, you know, place well as an age group athlete. So whatever that performance metric is, if you are exercising on purpose, then we say you're an athlete. And so this book is geared for encompassing the active woman. So we see such a, a, a huge amount of research that's done on the sedentary population. And that's not what this population is about. This is about those of us who have been active or have picked up exercise in a later period of life. And we want to keep progressing and we want to keep performing. And we want to have the the tools to be able to get that progression instead of either being stagnant or going backwards. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Okay. Now, when you start you start with something that, you know, is really important. And the the chapter title is The Stats, The Stigma, The Silence. How we think and talk about menopause matters. What's the bottom line in this chapter? The bottom line is there's so much social stigma 
And we see it from a cultural standpoint, especially in Western society, that when you hit menopause or you hit your 40s, then essentially you're on the downward slope. And it's frustrating from just looking from a cultural point of view where men age in a linear fashion. So you don't start getting that pushback until you know, they're in their late 60s. But even then they get um, you know, a bit more revered. Oh, you're becoming distinguished. But for women, you start hitting your 40s and people are like, oh, you're, you're at that, you're mid-age, you're going through, quote, the change. And there's such a negative stigma around it that no one wants to talk about it. You see it in actresses as well. It's like I uh, was watching a, a UK comedy show and night talk show, and they had Minnie Driver and Courtney Cox and another woman of similar age on there. And they are all like done up to Hollywood perfection. You could tell that they had stuff done to their face and not wrinkle, they're relatively thin. And then the three men that were on the panel were also similar age, but they were whatever, you know? So they were dressed nicely, but there wasn't that focus of you have to look a certain way. And so it's just endemic. So when we talk about menopause and the stigma, we have to understand that there's a huge sociocultural aspect wrapped up in Western society that when you hit menopause, your life is pretty much on the decline. But we know in other cultures, that's not true. And so my goal and part of Celine's goal as well is to really empower women to understand that that's not true, that you can keep progressing, you can keep getting stronger, you can keep body composition and get faster. And your life isn't over. It's a new biological chapter, but that doesn't mean that it's over. So aren't there changes metabolically that take place in women as they get older that make it a little bit more difficult to maintain that more optimal body composition? Yeah, totally. So when we get into the perimenopause state, we know that this is where most of those body composition changes. We see that there's less, quote, metabolic flexibility where women can't really switch between fat and carbohydrate burning as easily as, uh, you know, your, your premenopausal and postmenopausal women. And it has to do with the ratio of estrogen and progesterone. So we know that estrogen and progesterone, they affect every system of the body. And they're really important for maintaining glucose homeostasis. So that means, you know, your, your insulin sensitivity. It's there both of them are responsible for switching over from um, fat carbohydrate metabolism if your body is using protein or not. So when you start having these changes of these hormones, and you might have estrogen dominance or you might have a flat line of both of them, then all of your fueling and metabolic systems start taking a hit. So what we need to look at is is what kind of external stressors can we do to support the body like these hormones used to. And it's kind of a mind now, switch. What do you mean by what do, what do you mean by that? So now that the hormones are 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 uh, bidding you goodbye um, mm -hmm. in that regard, um, what are these external stressors? How does that work um, to be able to, as it were, almost take the place of those hormones? Yeah, yeah. So when we look at from a, you know a body composition standpoint, if we do something like plyometric or jump training. There are two really important factors there. One, we know that that multi-directional stress helps with bone and bone density. Super important when we hit peri and postmenopause because we lose the impetus um, to regenerate bone. But aside from that, we look at plyometric work and because it's such a strong, high intensity stress on the body, the muscles are looking at how am I gonna fuel this stress 
and there's not a lot of carbohydrate coming in or I can't access that carbohydrate very well. So there's what we call an epigenetic change where we start expressing more of our GLUT4 gate. So these are little pathways within the muscle that allow carbohydrate to come in without insulin. And if you're doing that high intensity work, your body becomes more sensitive to carbohydrate, able to use it and store it. So you have better blood glucose at rest. And there's also the stimulus to not store that visceral fat because there's not as much hormonal imbalance with regards to metabolic control. Because the exercise component has now helped the body learn that what these hormones used to do, now we do it with exercise stress. We look at define plyometrics. So this is typical jump training. A lot of people think of it as box jumps or um, uh, high bound skipping, but it's really explosive movement. It could be uh, push ups off the wall. It could be um, you know explosive push ups. It could be jumping down off a box. Um, so it's really fast energetics where you're doing really quick explosive movements. And it's not something that you start off the back. You want to phase your way into it. And it could be, you know, jumping up one stair and then stepping down. So you're slowly starting to get some of that more explosive movement that we all lose as we get older. And part of that also is how the brain and the muscles interconnect. And that's something else we need to look at as well, because estrogen is tied into the myosin chain. So we have two primary contractile proteins in the muscle. We have actin and myosin. And estrogen directly stimulates the production and the integrity of myosin. So when estrogen starts to go down, we have to think of another way that we can get the muscle to keep turning over and activating that myosin. So this is where resistance training becomes really important, but not like the body weight stuff, not like the, uh, you know, the 10 to 12 reps. We're looking at really heavy type lifting where you're doing one to six reps and by the sixth one you're failing with your good movement and what that does is it causes that that neuromuscular contraction so the nerves are creating a greater call to get muscle fibers to contract to create that 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 um, muscle to work and that stimulates that myosin which estrogen used to do so the combination of jump training and that heavy resistance training really gives you back muscle integrity with regards to strong, powerful contractions as well as glucose control. Okay, now I got a quick one for you. We're talking about a phase in life um, when women are roughly 50 and more, right? Um, what if they've got knee problems, so the jumping thing isn't the world's greatest, and what if they have issues with well you know with strength training you know clearly you don't want to go to the heavy super heavy stuff right off the bat and you build up to that but what about the jump thing i know a lot of people out there have uh, knees that are shot um by the time they hit their 50s so what would they do instead of that so it doesn't have to necessarily be jump training for the plyometrics so again it's any fast kind of movement so you can use slam balls or medicine balls and you're doing Russian twists against the wall. So you're doing a slam into the wall and catching it. So that's an explosive movement. You can do um, hand release push-ups. So you come down, you let go, and then you push up really fast. So any kind of explosive movement is, is a plyometric move. We think about it as, you know, jump training as being plyometrics, but any kind of of that fast explosive movement in any part of the body is still plyometrics and you still get that epigenetic change. If we're looking for bone stuff, 
and we're looking at, well, how do we increase um, the bone density through that multi-directional stress and jump training? If you have bad knees, it can be you step up onto a box and then you're jumping down onto a cushion. So you're getting some of that reactive force, but it's not as much to the knees. If you really can't do that, then there are some other alternatives that you can do that are more explosive with um, kettlebells, yes, with, yes. Uh, slam balls. I was waiting yep. for you to say my favorite. I'm a kettlebell queen. Um, yes, and I kettlebells. Wear, wear them around my neck, whatever. And I just absolutely love them. But uh, kettlebells for everyone out there is a little bit more um, of a... Uh, well, women have seen it, you know, um, certainly if they've gone to the gym or whatever. Uh, and what I love about that um, is that it gives you both um, endurance, a lot of cardio. Um, at the same time, you're also getting um, strength training. Uh, and uh, at the same time, balance, flexibility is probably one of the best total body workouts on the planet. Um, and so you're saying that doing like kettlebell swings, kettlebell deadlifts, things like this will, will help? Yes. Yes. Things like, yeah, kettlebell swings, kettlebell deadlifts, if you can do uh, kettlebell clean, uh, kettlebell snatch, um, Sumo squats with a, a dead, um, with a kettlebell, even sumo squats to a box. Anything with a kettlebell actually is super beneficial. Even if you are looking like, oh, I've just been doing body weight stuff, add a light kettlebell, you're increasing that resistance, and then that starts getting you phasing into lifting heavier too. I absolutely love that. So this is so important. Now, here's the thing. Um, I've studied epigenetics for years, um, starting when I was at the NIH. And here's the thing. It, it doesn't happen overnight. So I think I want to make sure that everyone out there knows that you don't sustain epigenetic changes just by, you know, snapping your finger. So why don't you address roughly how long it takes? So it, it does, we always like to look at someone phasing into something for between two and a half to three weeks to get proper movement. And then when you start getting that proper movement and adding the weight and you're adding that, that kind of resistance change, that stress starts to be learned. And we know that it takes anywhere from three to six weeks to really get that impetus for change. And then you have to maintain it. So the earliest that someone would actually see all of these true effects happening from the epigenetic standpoint is a good two months into a program. Mm-hmm. And here's something else. Um, uh, so uh, with my work on the board of the American College of Sports Medicine, one of our biggest challenges is not, you know, the the athletes, they're fairly straightforward, um, but it's just, you know, regular folk out there who maybe, as you said, are trying to do some regular, you know, exercise, but but many of them, especially women, women more so, um, really don't put enough oomph into it. Um, there's almost a fear factor of, of like just crushing it. See, men will, will say that all day long. Oh, I crushed it at the gym and, you know, I lifted, you know, half a car and I'm, I'm good. And women are like, no. Um, so what's going on with that? So there's this huge cultural thing, and I keep coming back to it because I work closely with this fantastic sociologist here, um, Professor Holly Thorpe, and she does a lot of stuff in the female space from a sociology point. So, I mean, like if you close your eyes and imagine a gym, 
and you walk into a gym, what do you see? Like, what are the images that you see? It's very gendered, right? So you see like the weight room and the squat rack might be in the back and it's like all the men are in the weight room. And then you see the cardio machines, you see the women on the elliptical trainer. It's so gendered. And that is a stigma that comes from what we've seen in society of how women are supposed to be versus how men are supposed to be. Even uh, in the early 1900s, when you had a couple of really strong women who were making profiles, they're all like in the circus. They weren't, there wasn't a bodybuilding competitions. The idea of a woman being strong just wasn't there. Even JFK in the 60s, when they were trying to really promote women being out of the house and becoming empowered and part of the feminist movement, he kind of backlashed women with one one statement that he made when he was introducing the new um, idea that women could work out, out of the house. And it was Eleanor Roosevelt's um, big push to get women out of the house and being independent. He said, this is great that women are now working out of the house and being empowered as long as it doesn't take away from the primary responsibility, which is in the house. So there's always been this backlash, regardless of where women have been. So that feeds forward now into how a lot of women think. And if you think of the 80s, it was all the you know fat-burning workouts, lots of long, slow intensity, no muscles, um, thinking Jane Fonda and her leg warmers. And those are the ideas that have been perpetuated in the fitness. And it sticks a lot with women who are in their late 40s, early 50s of that's what the idea is. You have to do long aerobic work. You don't want to be in the gym. You want to keep it low intensity. You want to be in the fat burning. And we know all of that's bullshit. Sorry, don't know if I can swear, but I do don't anyway. swear I get, away. <laughs> I get so passionate about this because of all these stigmas that promote this prevailing myth that women shouldn't be strong. They shouldn't be crushing it. They shouldn't be going into the gym and rocking up to the squat rack and not letting men take over or encroach on their space. I get really frustrated with the fact that women are always told to lose weight and become smaller and have to look a certain way where I'm like, no, be bold, be big, be take up that space lift those weights, get strong. You're not going to get bulky. We can't get bulky by the nature of being women. And it's just these prevailing myths that really inhibit women from saying, I'm going to go crush it. And even if you look at like the ACSM recommendations for physical activity for women, right? It's 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity. And I look at it, I'm like, that's the worst thing in the world to tell someone who's perimenopause. Exactly. Because exactly. that puts them straight in that dead zone, that like that moderate intensity kind of talk pace that is the exact opposite of what someone should be doing when they are trying to create change within their body at this point in their life. You need to go super, super easy. You also know need to know how to hit that 9 or 10 on an RPE and hit that top end full gas. You also need to know what it means to do resistance training, not these boot camp classes, not these aerobic type classes, but actually what does it mean to do resistance training? And there's a lack of education. There's a huge stigma around doing those things because they're either put down into, oh, well, I don't do CrossFit and I'm not a CrossFit athlete, but that's what CrossFit people do. And that's not me. And we have to really untangle what is appropriate for the body versus what are these social stigmas that inhibit so many women from actually doing what they need to do to be healthy. 
I absolutely amen, amen, amen that. Um, it's so, you know, it's so interesting. I was super fortunate myself um, when uh, I was, oh, let me just think for a second, where was I? Oh, I was in uh, my residency training um, uh, a million years ago in internal medicine, and I was working out at a club, you know, it's just a small club, um, just to kind of get some stress off me. And I was on a treadmill and, uh, a trainer came over to me and I think I was just about the only woman at the club. I was, I was doing clubs before clubs were cool. Nice. And uh, yeah, I know totally. I was so there. <laughs> and he walks up to me, goes, have you ever lifted weights? And I said, what's that? I'm not kidding you. What's that? Because, you know, I mean, when I was in high school and stuff, we didn't have any of that. Um, and you know, I was more of an outdoor athlete anyway. I was a mountaineer and hiker and all these things. No one ever said, hey, hit the gym, lift weights. And so um, he said, let me show you. He was just bored that day. And, you know, he was very friendly, very nice guy. Um, so I went over to the weight racks and, you know, I, I just took to it like a, a bead of honey. Um, it was one of the best things ever. And I've, done, I've lifted for decades decades. And uh, I, I I can tell you right now, ladies, listen up to what uh, Dr. Stacy Sims is saying, because I'm living proof of it. Um, I have lived through menopause and all the rest of it. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that it minimizes so much of the duress you, you experience. It absolutely does. It improves your sleep. Um, you know, it re-regulates your appetite and the rest of it and never, ever, ever fear lifting something heavy so long as you understand that you build up to that point. You build up to it and you do it nice and gradually and patiently and you never, ever, ever push yourself um, beyond where you think you should be. And I always say, you know, utilize when necessary, uh, a trainer, a certified trainer, someone who, you know, is local and back and forth, show them Stacy's book and say, I'm following this, you know, come on, you know, give me, give me a little bit of help with form and all the rest of it. But that's what you need to be able to make this work. And so we're not just, you know, sitting here pontificating. You're perimenopausal. I'm postmenopausal. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, you know, there's life on the other side. And it looks really good so long as you do the work. Yeah. Got to do the work. Got to do the work. Really important here. Totally. Oh, yeah. Doing the work. Yeah. That's what, that's what we call it. So, you know, when we're looking at all of this, um, when a woman is saying, oh, my God, you know, I just had my body comp done and I'm like 33% fat and, you know, my muscle, you know, disappeared. Uh, what do you say to someone like that? When, when, you know, this could be someone who at one time was quite athletic, but then you know how it goes. Life got in the way. Perimenopause is a tough time. This is when people are establishing careers, kids are going off to college. I mean, you got uh, caregiving parents and you know, whatever. You got all kinds of things going on. And the last thing on the, on the plate is you. You just fall right off that plate. And so, you know, there you are. So is it true? Um, if you were once athletic, it, 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 you can regroup much faster. What do you think? Yeah, so there is such thing as muscle memory. I mean, when you look at technique, really, in swimming, if kids start early when they're kids and they learn technique, 
then they don't swim for years and years and years and they come back as an adult and they can swim beautifully. It's that technique and muscle memory. It's the same thing like your body learns metabolic patterns. It learns um, like the neuromuscular stimulus. When you are an athlete, it also adapts things like um, internal temperature control and sweat responses and that kind of stuff. And it might get a little bit muted because you're not athletic, but once you start again, it's really much easier to get that back for your body to relearn it and to, to go, oh, I've got to switch these things back on. Um, so if you have been athletic and, and you haven't been for 10, 15 years or less, whatever, in that whole thing, we also want people to understand it's not about the volume of exercise now. It's about the quality of exercise. So a lot of women in this in this time period where they're super busy, um, you know, like you said, they're getting to the peak of their career. They might have young kids. They might have kids going off to college. They have um, not only work responsibilities, home responsibilities, aging parents. And they're like, wait, I don't have an hour a day. What are you talking about? I have like 20 minutes. 20 minutes, sweet. In 20 minutes, you can do some really good resistance training or a kettlebell workout. And if you're planning it out, like the one thing I tell women is, again, it's not the volume or the time on the clock. It is the intensity and being able to polarize that intensity on one day and then really looking at that neuromuscular connection on another day where you're focusing on building that tissue. So all up, you might be doing 20 minutes a day. And if you have a little bit more time than that, then you can start looking at structuring training a little bit easier, a little bit harder, so that you have a, a two-week plan and then a one-week where it's more recovery-type work. So trying to find those few minutes a day that is actually yours is easier if you have that mind idea of it's not an hour, it's 20 minutes. And if you're doing it in your garage, you can take away that commute time. So it's trying to find those barriers, to take away those barriers, to get women to understand that it's, again, not about doing that hour class or, quote, getting into that fat burning, which we don't like. We know it doesn't work. It's about, oh, my gosh, I have 15 minutes. I have 20 minutes. I'm going to go do 20 seconds on, 30 seconds easy, 20 seconds on, 30 seconds easy. And then I'm followed up with um, some... Uh, kettlebell deadlifts so i have a little bit of stimulus of that resistance training done and dusted. i love so this again oh my gosh okay right so it's well i mean you know what you're talking about here is is really being very creative adapting and adjusting to the craziness of it all in your life but still being able to get in that level of intensity and you know everyone out there knows i'm i'm a crazy person about high intensity interval training things like this um that in intensity is absolutely where it's at so here's a question then i know um, women out there are saying okay well wait a minute does this mean i have to eat half a cow for you know, dinner and um, I have to have like mountains of protein and, you know, I don't, I, I save all my protein for dinner and I don't have protein during the day, et cetera, et cetera. I know, I know. I've heard it so many times. I can just tell you. Ugh. So talk to us about fueling, you know, for this type of physical activity. Like for instance, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do some intensive you know, out there in my garage and my brand new fitness uh, arena because, <laughs> because of all the craziness in the world, you build your own. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, for real. And then, um, like, when do I have protein? How do I build muscle? How do I make that happen? How do I fuel for it? Go for it, Stacy. 
oh my gosh, how much time do you have to do on diets? Because we can get completely off rails on that, but I'll focus just on the protein aspect. So again, as we get older and get into perimenopause, um, we get more what we call anabolic resistance, where our body is very resistant to building lean mass. And we are more catabolic, so our body is really good at losing it. And when we get into the phase where we have estrogen, progesterone, changing ratios, we don't have as much estrogen, then we actually lose one of the pathways for muscle protein synthesis. So if we look at the pathway for muscle protein synthesis, we have three distinct ones when we are younger. We have mechanical stress, which we know is resistance training or other exercise. We have um, availability of amino acids, and we have IGF-1, which is stimulated by estrogen. When we lose estrogen, we only have amino acid and mechanical stress. And if we look also at the fact that the absorption rate for amino acids is different in women than in men, then post-exercise, we need a good hit of amino acids in order to keep stimulating that muscle protein synthesis. So when we are looking at saving protein for dinner away from training, that's a a moot point because we've stayed in this catabolic state or this breakdown state for most of the day, not giving our body the amino acids it needs to trigger lean mass development. It's not going to learn that. It's not going to learn to put on lean mass. So all the work that you've done with the intensity is almost a moot point when you're not following it up with good protein. We know that in the perimenopausal state, in order to keep getting good body composition change, that favorable change that we want, less of the cereal fat, more lean mass, we need regular doses of protein throughout the day. So we look and say around 30 grams, maybe 40 grams at each meal, three meals a day. And then after exercise, really, really important to get that dose of protein around 30 grams. And people are like, whoa, 30 grams, that's a lot. But if we look and say, well, you get up first thing in the morning and you have a small amount of food, might be a half a banana, it might be a piece of toast, it might be protein fortified cold brew, you go do your intensity, then you have breakfast. A lot of women are good at having protein at breakfast. We look at um, you know, yogurt and muesli, or we have eggs, or we have a milk on cereal, good hit of protein. Then you make sure that you know at lunch you're also having some protein, and then afternoon snack, and then dinner. But if you spend the whole day not eating and definitely holding off on that protein at the end of the day, you're going to be fighting to get that body composition change. Ah, uh, okay. So basically what you're talking about is a real decent balance here. You got you to gotta spread the love, the protein love, all day long. And, and you know you're yes. doing that. But getting that protein in within a fairly, you know, um, decent time period, 90 minutes, um, whatever, um, after you've done your intense um, activity, um, your resistance training or whatever you were doing, plyometrics, et cetera, super important because that's a great time to be able to start rebuilding, right? Correct. And the other thing that people forget about or it hasn't really connected is that we don't get fitter during exercise. We get fitter recovering from it. So if you go into any kind of exercise without fueling first, you're already in a very stressed out state. So your body's not going to be able to maximize getting stress for adaptation in exercise because it doesn't have the fuel to hit those intensities. It doesn't have a lower baseline of cortisol in order to get the stimulus from the brain that, yeah, there's nutrition, we can do this. And then if you don't follow up exercise with nutrition, 
again, you're staying in that breakdown state and you're not going to adapt to anything because your body isn't getting the signal in the hypothalamus that there is nutrition to overcome that stress. So it gets into the survival mode where we see that abdominal fat coming on. We see a downturn of resting metabolic rate. And women have this whole disconnect where like I'm going to exercise to burn calories and I burn X amount of calories on the treadmill doing 30 minutes of walking. And I'm going to hold off eating because I want that post-exercise burn. And again, that's the worst possible thing to do because you're not giving your body the support it needs in the stress itself. You're creating more stress and your body's like, I've got to be able to overcome this, but I don't know how. So it gets into a metabolic dysfunction, so to speak, where it learns to put on more fat because that's what it burned during that 30 minutes of fasted whatever training and with no nutrition to follow up. So it's this, it's this misstep and misconnection of calories in, calories out. I'm going to burn X amount of calories and I'm going to hold off eating because I still want to maintain that burn. And it, it's that social, cultural bullshit that women have like bought into that's so damaging to women's bodies, especially when we get into the peri and postmenopause state. Okay, you're just no fun. You, you're just no fun because wasn't one of the myths was like, oh my God, I'm 50. I can just start kicking back now, relaxing because I have worked for 50 years to do all these things and back and forth. And now I can kind of just get into that restful chapter of my life where I don't have to do. And you're telling me I have to go out there and I have to do all this you know, jumpy stuff and intense things and, and you're making me work, damn it. You know, we're, you're just no fun. So what do you say to that? Uh-huh. What do you say? Well, yeah, I know. I'm like, well, what's your idea of relaxation, right? So <laughs> are you looking to relax and be, do you remember the movie Wally from so many years ago? Oh, yeah. yeah where they're all yeah. floating around on the couches, watching screens, and then one gets bumped off and can't get back on because he doesn't have any like ability to climb back on something. I feel like we might be living that. So when you're looking at someone who's like, oh, I'm 50 and I've worked hard all my life and now it's time to relax. I'm like, well, do you want to be like those blobs and Wally when you're 60? It's like, no, we got to look at the quality of life. If you want to be like my grandmother, who's 105 and lives by herself and does push-ups on the wall and has full autonomy, then you want to look at how you're going to improve your quality of life. So this kind of stuff that I'm talking about, it's not about aesthetics. It's about longer-term quality of life, and it doesn't take a lot of work. I'm not saying you have to do this every day. You can do it three or four times a week max, and it's 20 minutes, right? So you're looking at how am I going to improve the quality of my life so I can walk down the street carrying my own groceries when I'm 70 or 80. And these are the things that we want people to understand that I'm not talking about it from an athletic perspective as much as I'm talking about longevity as well. I love it. And what you're really talking about is independence, you know, um, and one of yes. the, you know, it's interesting. There were some studies that were done. I think one was done by Rand um, that it was a global study of, you know, um, what uh, a woman fears most as she ages. And um, numero uno was loss of independence. Loss of independence. You know why? Yes. Then they asked the women like, well, what's up with that? And they said, we don't want to be dependent upon someone else. We don't want to be a burden. You know how women are. Come on now. We're both women. Um, you know, I don't I don't want to have to have anyone do anything for me. Like, get away. I can handle this. But 
what we find is that that may be all fine and dandy when you're in your 20s, 30s, even 40s. But boy, things start getting ugly after that if you are not actually working hard to stay physically and mentally independent. And you gotta work it. Uh oh, there's that there's that work word again. It just keeps sneaking in here in this conversation. <laughs> but, but you know you know what I think your book also is? It's such a fabulous book. Um, is it's a wake up call. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's a wake up call. It's like it's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to quietly, you know, disappear into the vapors. Um, w wait a minute. Uh, was, what was the name of your first book, Roar? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right? So what is that attitude then? Go ahead, Stacy. What is that attitude? Oh, well, you know, my whole life, my whole uh, professional life, I've been fighting the patriarchy of trying to get people to understand that women are not small men. Are, we're born with physiological differences. We're born, you know, with sex differences, but yet it gets wrapped up. And as you alluded to earlier, where there's so many studies that are accepted by MSSE and conferences and ACSM where women are excluded. And it's just been this drive to really get the social change to allow women to talk about their periods or all of a sudden I'm losing my periods and I'm going through perimenopause but not having to hide behind it's the change my life is over so it's more about a, a vocal and more globalized voice around things that are inherently women because if we didn't have periods we wouldn't have a human race right because it's all about having a healthy reproductive system and if we look at other cultures besides the u.s culture when women lose their periods and go into menopause they're revered because now they're wise and people are wanting to take care of the older woman as much as they don't want to but they go to them for advice they go to them for their experiences that they have i even um like to say it's the whale experience because if we look at uh, pods of whales the leader of pods of whales are often the oldest matriarch because she's gone through the reproductive year she has all this experience and she can be protective and guide the rest of the whales to where they need to be within safety so the whole goal of roar the whole goal of next level is to start changing that conversation to empower women to be able to have these conversations and really kind of stick it to society that's been pushing us backwards for so many decades. Oh, I love it. Man, have you got some badass attitude. I'm really <laughs> loving this. This is absolutely where it goes. Everyone, we've been talking to Dr. Stacy Sims, and she is the author of a new book. Oh boy, it's called Next Level, Your Guide to Kicking Ass feeling great and crushing goals through menopause and beyond. This is just fabulous. And, and honestly, uh, Stacy is a researcher. Um, she has a, a PhD behind her name. She has done some fabulous work. She has published in the field. So she has what we love to call street creds. She has this, <laughs> that credibility that we need to hear. Cause, well, I say that for a reason 
because as a sports medicine physician, I could tell you that there is more junk out there on the internet um, that tells you to, you know, starve yourself and, uh, and, and yes. do what it just go on every fad diet known to mankind and, you know, uh, stay on a, a treadmill for an hour and a half and just beat down that fat. And what the hell are they talking? Well, that's right. They don't have any street creds. They're just sort of, you know, mouthing off and they got whatever certification, if they have one off a matchstick cover. So it's really important to understand who your source is, and and Stacy is absolutely where it's at. I, I really absolutely recommend this book for women who really want to get that body um, as you're going through, as it were, perimenopause, menopause, and beyond, um, and and really start to work with the changes that are taking place in your body, because they are. No one's going to escape it. Come on now. And I don't care how old you are out there in the Herb Podcast land, we're all aging right now. <laughs> nanosecond yeah. by nanosecond. Uh, so <laughs> there's nothing to fight here. I mean, we just work with it, optimize it. Stacy, go ahead. One last word of wisdom for our, our Her Podcast audience. If there's one form of exercise that every woman should do regardless of age, it's resistance training. Like if you want to have change in body composition, you need to lift heavy stuff. It's, you can't outrun a bad diet. You can't outlift a bad diet. So, you know, all this focus on diet is neither here nor there. Because if you don't have the muscle to keep you strong and you're not doing the resistance training to be able to change metabolic aspects, then you're not going to to achieve what you're trying to do. So it's that one thing. It's like of all the big rocks, it's the resistance training. And this I is coming from... I absolutely love it. <laughs> Go ahead. This is coming from like a long-term endurance person, right? But I've been in and out of the weight room since I was in high school too. And I just see the evolutionary change that's happened with more and more women coming into the weight room. So we need to keep pushing that message. It's like the more that we see women in that weight room, the more we see women lifting, the more normalized it becomes and the more that other people will pick it up. And it's so important across the board to lift things and to do the lunges and the moving with weight, not only for the body composition, but again, for the longevity so that you keep moving proper form, less injury, healthier body for as many years as you think that you're going to live or you end up living. Oh, I love it. Uh, such wonderful, wise words. Again, everyone, we've been talking to Dr. Stacy Sims, S-I-M-S, and she's the author of Next Level, Your Guide to Kicking Ass, Feeling Great, Crushing Goals Through Menopause and Beyond. Where can they uh, learn more about your work, Stacy? Uh, so I'm on social, like m so many other people. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Stacy Sims. And then our website, drstacysims.com, lists all the stuff that we're doing, online courses, little micro-learnings, our podcasts, our newsletters, our um, master classes on the book, extra information about the books. So, yeah, it's kind of how to keep up with all the stuff that I'm doing. Fantastic. Well done. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for being on the Herb Podcast. And everyone out there, 
please take a minute now to hit iTunes rate and review the show because we want to hear from you, especially me because I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Her Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. Remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on all of the major platforms, including iTunes. Thanks so much for listening today. Please stay safe and stay well.